0: damn boring. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Pitch Blitz podcast. Leeds United sacked their manager Jesse Marsh just after he brought in three players and one new assistant coach to the club. Spurs put the beating on Manchester City, while Haaland continues to struggle. Liverpool lose another match to Wolves. They are still searching for their first win of 2023, and Barcelona cruised to victory again in what seems to be the final stamp on the La Liga title race. we got a lot of action to cover. Stay tuned. Just about one week after the transfer market closes, Leeds United have fired their American manager, Jesse Marsh, just after he signed three new players and one new assistant coach to the club. Leeds United only recorded one win in their previous seven matches. They were currently sitting in 17th place in the Premier League. There's a few points that I want to touch on real quick about Leeds United. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Uh, Later on, I'm going to be talking about Manchester City and their struggles um, especially with with Erling Haaland up top. Uh, but with Leeds United, they, as we know, uh, they've struggled this season. And the the blame should not be on one coach, especially Jesse Marsh. Uh, I I understand to a degree, sacking him. Um, obviously, when I when a when a team is know below 15th in the league and they're not putting up the numbers that you would expect you know get rid of your coach right that's kind of like the first it's it's usually not one player who's causing everything who's 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 not causing the problems um you know it's not always the striker it's not always the goalie it's not always a midfielder so usually the the first finger that is pointed at it's usually at the coach so that's exactly what happened with leeds united jesse marsh was only at the club for eight months and i've said this before and i'll say it again You cannot turn an entire club around in less than a year. It will take a year to maybe two years. Just look at Michael Arteta with Arsenal. It took him almost three years, three full seasons, to finally understand his players, understand the organization, understand how they play, because the side that Michael Arteta was managing was a completely different side than the side that he played in as a player, you know, 8, 10, 15 years ago. So I think this firing was premature. This firing should not have happened this early. See how the rest of the season goes, especially considering that the transfer window just closed. If, If Leeds United were even thinking about firing Jesse Marsh, they should have done it before the transfer window. That way they get in a new manager, and that manager can then choose the players that he wants to bring in. Now the next manager, whoever they choose, uh, you know, he's – what if he doesn't like Weston McKinney? What if he doesn't like, you know, Georgina Rutter? And, you know, he has no choice because Leeds United just signed him because Jesse Marsh wanted those players. And that new assistant coach, you know, that new assistant coach was brought in by Jesse Marsh because the two of them got along. Well, what if the new coach doesn't get along with that guy? So Leeds United, I mean, when Jesse Marsh first came to the club – It was chaos. They they wanted to get rid, or they they got rid of of uh, Rafinha, right? As we know, Um, and they really weren't doing anything else in the in the transfer market. You know, they got Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams, uh, the the American guys, but um, there there wasn't there weren't any steps for improvement in place yet. You know, it was kind of. Well, let's just see what happens. Let's just sign Jesse Martian. Hope for the best. He did well at Arbe Salzburg. Let's just hope for the best. And that's just you know, we're, we're we're seeing how that has turned out for the for the club. You know, they currently sit 17th in the league, and it's almost like every single game that you watch them play, you're just expecting a mistake. You're expecting them to let up a goal. You're expecting them you're expecting them to lose the game. Especially in midfield, you got rid of of Calvin Phillips for forty five million for uh, Manchester City, um, and and you bring in two decent players. And now I'm not going to compare Tyler Adams and and uh, Brendan Aronson to Calvin Phillips, but Calvin Phillips is a little bit more. He's he, he's he's a better of a player uh, than the two of them. So not good signings there in the summer, right? And uh, so you bring in Jesse Marsh and. You know, eight months later, you know, you're at the bottom of the table. Who's surprised? Jesse Marsh probably isn't surprised because he knew the club that he was getting into when he, was, when he first signed with the organization. And then he, he can't put up the results. And I'm sure the writing was on the wall. I'm sure Jesse Marsh had a good idea. Look, this is a poorly managed club. This is a poorly run club. I don't think I have much time left here. And I think, you know, J- Jesse Marsh, he, he really couldn't do anything. It was kind of just like a lose-lose situation. So I, th- I, I really don't think you can put all the blame on Jesse Marsh. Um, put it on the organization itself. Put it on the, on the ownership. Put it on the, the, the managers at the club. Because I really do not see this uh, as a smart decision for Leeds United. Um, and I think Jesse Marsh is going to be picked up by a club very soon. He's a good coach. And, and currently, the, the West Brom coach is is most likely to, to take over Leeds United. And it's not going to be any different for him, the, the organization and how well they do. With this squad, I could see them getting relegated. They're just, they're all bundled up. And they don't know what they're doing. They don't have a coach anymore in the middle of the season. You're sitting 17th in the league and you hire a new coach. And it's certainly not Sean Deitch with, with Everton. I think Everton, Everton will finish higher in the Premier League this season than Legion Reds will. Everton will finish higher than Leicester City, than Wolverhampton Warriors, and maybe even Crystal Palace and, and Aston Villa. I understand that's a stretch, but what we saw from Everton this, this past week and is in the first game with, with Sean Deitch, the 1-0 over Arsenal, you know, those were signs of improvement. And yeah, maybe it was the, the first game jitters and uh you know, they he, he kinda got lucky on the on the header. But, you know, say whatever you want to say, but Leeds United isn't doing that. In the past four uh in the past five matches for Leeds United, they've drawn three and lost two. And they their next two games are against Manchester United. So if you don't if you don't hire a manager soon, this is gonna get ugly. And you're going to very quickly see yourselves relegated from the Premier League. So I think Leeds United, uh, they have a big task at hand um, from the, from the leadership point of view. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens, you know, but I, I, I hope the best for the players, um, especially the three players that were brought into the club. I hope they're able to get along with the new coach because that was probably a big reason why Weston McKenney wanted to join. Um, as as far as Jorginho Rudder, as far as Volber, and Volber played with Jesse Marsh when Jesse Marsh was coaching at at Salzburg. So it'll be interesting to see how how the new how the new manager gets on, uh, how he relates to the club, um, how the how the fans feel about him. But I mean, if if this is going to be the same story as Jesse Marsh, he's here for eight months and they can't put. You know results on the board, then he'll be out in eight months. There's no doubt about it. And I understand the club wants results now, and they want to win now. But you know, look, you got a, you got rid of Patrick Bamford, right? You you got rid of of Daniel James. You got rid of of um, Diego Llorente and Matthias Klitsch Matthias Klitsch was a big loss. Joe Gildhart, Jamie Shackleton, Tyler Roberts. You could have signed those clubs and been a better side than you are right now. So you you definitely can't blame Jesse Marsh uh, for for the way the season has gone for the organization. Um, And that's why I think this signing was a little bit premature uh, for the organization and Jesse Marsh. So the next topic that I want to talk about is the reigning champions in England, in Manchester City, and their current goal scorer. And they're a 180 million pound man in Erling Haaland. They're struggling. Things are feeling very weird at the Etihad right now. With everything that happened with Joao Cancelo, him just all of a sudden out on a whim just wanting to leave, that was very sketchy. How, How the... the play itself has changed. How players aren't getting played. I think this is... And I've said it before with Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp, but it's kind of... You know, the, the team is getting to that point where they've played with each other for so long that, you know, maybe things aren't really going as well as everyone thought behind the scenes. Pep Guardiola... Not playing, uh, not starting Kevin De Bruyne in a very big game against Tottenham Hotspur at the weekend was strange. Pep Guardiola not playing Phil Foden in the last four games is strange. Pep Guardiola not playing Ruben Diaz and Amiral Laporte is strange. And on top of that, Joel Kinsella leaving the club and signing with Bayern Munich. And it doesn't even sound like Bayern Munich have any intention on signing Joao Cancelo permanently with the £7 million fee that uh, City linked with him. Obviously, we know that Erling Haaland is a fantastic player. And obviously, we know that Kevin De Bruyne is a fantastic player. They each lead the category in goals and assists. Erling Haaland has 25 goals in 20 appearances this season and Kevin De Bruyne has 17 assists in 20 appearances this season. So statistically, you would think that Manchester City would be doing the best. As well that they have their their center midfielder the Rodri racking up the most amount of successful passes in the entire Premier League. He has 1864 accurate passes. The next guy below him is Lewis Dunk from Brighton. He has 1580 passes. So Rodri has almost 300 more passes uh, than the next man. Um, and then below him is, is Thiago Silva with straight up 1,500. So he's, he's just outplaying people in the midfield. Um, but it's the mistakes, especially with Rodri. The game against Tottenham Hotspur, you know, Rodri made a silly mistake. And it cost, ultimately, it cost them the game. And the same thing happened against Tottenham uh, uh, two weeks ago. Rodri made a mistake, and then Ederson made a mistake. And all of a sudden, City were down 2-0. They eventually came back to win that one, which is what a lot of City fans thought was going to happen at the weekend. Once I saw Rodri give the ball away, and Harry Kane took advantage of, of the opportunity, and he now has, he's now has uh, 200 goals in the Premier League. Congrats to him. But I think with, with Manchester City, they are playing as a completely different team this year. They're not the same team that we've seen in the past. They are now playing with, with a striker. And you can't really call Erling Holland a striker. Erling Holland is more so a guy to tap the ball in on a rebound. If you want an out-and-out striker, you know, look at Robert Lewandowski. Look at Harry Kane. Look at your past, Sergio Aguero. And it's been almost three years since Sergio Aguero's not been with the club, and City have done very well. The first year that Sergio Aguero was was not with with City, Manchester City went to the Champions League final. Unfortunately, they lost. And ever since then, you know they've they've made f- six or five uh, Carabao Cup. Finals uh, in in the last like seven or eight years. Uh, And and the Premier League, you know, they just keep racking up the trophies. And then when Erling Haaland comes along, you can't do anything. And for the first part of the season from uh, early September, late August to, you know, December, you know, you thought City were going to win the league. City are going to do this. City are going to do that. City are going to break record after record with Erling Haaland at the helm. And that's I, I, I can't see that happening anymore. Erling Haaland has lost his form. If Erling Haaland doesn't get the ball on the six-yard box, he's useless. He doesn't track back on defense. He doesn't put the ball in the right spot. He doesn't link up with anyone. And if Kevin De Bruyne is not playing, he's not going to get the ball. And that's exactly what we've seen in the, in, in the past games. He had 11, 11 touches. 11 touches in the game against Tottenham Hotspur. Zero shots. Zero shots on target, period. So he really wasn't doing anything. And I... There's really only... There's so much you can blame on the team when you start to think about what they had in the past and what has changed since then. And the first thing everyone is going to think about is Erling Haaland. You know, he's, he has changed the team. And I think Pep Guardiola, and uh, I'm sorry, Jamie Carragher came out. And, uh, you know, he, he said, I, I believe he was on Sky Sports, and, and he said something along the lines of, um, Erling Haaland picked the wrong club to go to. And, you know, I thought about it for a little bit. I didn't completely dismiss it, but I thought about it for a little bit. And after a little while, I said, you know what? No, I I disagree with that statement. What about turning that around? And what about saying that Manchester City signed the wrong striker? What if Manchester City actually signed Harry Kane two years ago when they were pushing for him? What if they kept Gabriel Jesus? What if they signed Robert Lewandowski? How different would it be now? Obviously, they wouldn't have 25 goals like Erling Haaland does. But when you think about an out-and-out striker, when you think about a number nine, whether you're a center forward, right striker, left striker, whatever you are, you know, you think of someone who tracks back on defense, you think of someone who will, will get into the tight areas in midfield just to win the ball back for the midfielders. Not someone who, who sits on the edge of the defense and waits for, for a breakaway and waits for the ball to be played to him. Look, I understand that it goes both ways with Erling Haaland and the midfield. You, know, you, you could easily turn us around and say, well, why doesn't the midfield just give him the ball? Well, Manchester City were doing so well in the previous seasons because they had 10 guys on that pitch all working for the same exact goal. They were all busting their behind to get that ball back so that they could maintain possession, so that that they could create link-up plays, that they could create give-and-goes. And And if someone's up there, whether it's a a winger, whether it's a striker, whether it's a midfielder, whether it's a defender, they were going to get them the ball and they were going to score. Now all of a sudden you've you've changed everything because now you have a number nine in there, and it's kind of like playing with you know Messi or playing with Ronaldo or Mbappe or Neymar. When you're on that on that team with them and you're on the same pitch, you know you feel like you need to give them the ball, especially since Erling Holland has had so much success so far in the Premier League. You know Jack Grealish gets the ball; he's looking immediately for Erling Holland, and what does that do? You know, if, if Erling Holland's covered, you know, he's usually double covered now, you know, it, it, it causes confusion for Jack Grealish and, you know, he'll make a bad decision and pass it backwards and then, you know, whether it's Rico Lewis or someone, you know, maybe they'll fumble the ball and they'll give up possession. Whereas in the past, you know, Jack Grealish wasn't looking f- specifically for that number nine in the box. You know he was looking for Gundawan in the middle of the pitch, and then Gundawan would would find uh, Riyad Mahrez on the right wing, and then he would pass it back to De Bruyne, and then De Bruyne would you know he would then he would see Jack Grealish making an inside run, and Jack Grealish would would get the ball and, and finish. You know whatever it was, City are struggling with Erling Haaland, and that's and that's exactly what it is as far as you know not playing Gundawan I'm sorry, not playing yeah, not playing Gundogan, uh, not playing Phil Foden not playing Kevin De Bruyne, not really playing Bernardo as much as you would think, following the rumors that he's probably going to be out on his way to Barcelona soon. And then Joao Cancelo is just... So my analysis of this could be completely wrong and it could be all internal and it could be just Pep Guardiola overthinking the game like he does so often. But I truly believe that Manchester City were better off without Erling Haaland. And I'll... I'll say it once and I'll say it again. I really think that Manchester City they told themselves, you know, we we made it to the Champions League final and we lost because we didn't have that striker. Once City gets that number 9 and you know, bombs away, they're going to win everything. But I really don't think they needed it. And it's a, it's it goes right into that saying, if it's not broke, don't fix it. City were not broken. When you look at these other clubs, City are the complete opposite, really. City have a stacked defense. They have a, probably one of the best midfield's in the world, if not top two. Uh, and and their their wingers are you know some of the best the best best in the world. So maybe keeping Gabriel Jesus would have been a good idea because at least Gabriel Jesus incorporated himself in the game, even when he wasn't getting the ball. That's the problem with Erling Holland, is that when he doesn't get the ball, it puts him off. And, you know, Manchester City have played every single team in the Premier League so far, besides Arsenal, uh, which is coming up February 15th. But they have played everyone in the Premier League already. So all the defenses already know what Erling Haaland is going to do. Holland probably put up a hat-trick against them or scored two goals or scored one goal or recorded two assists and a goal or whatever it was. They're on to him. They know his next move. They've watched film. They don't want the same exact thing to happen again that happened in the fall when they played him. So all the defenders in the league, they have Holland's number now. So I think that also plays a factor. It was kind of Erling Holland, you know, as soon as he came into the Premier League, he was scoring goals. And everyone was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, Manchester City, you know, they're this great, great club, and Erling Holland is this great, great player. It really does not look like that. And I, I truly believe Pep Guardiola, maybe it wasn't even him, but Pep Guardiola and the Manchester City organization put a log on the fire while it was still burning. And I think that log is suffocating the other logs. And it's going to cause the fire to diffuse. The next club that I want to talk about uh, is the club that has not won a single game in 2023 so far, and that is Liverpool. Liverpool, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Even the supporters aren't going to deny it. They are in a terrible situation right now. They're in a bad spot. A lot of their players are injured. The players that are not injured are not performing. their fitness is a problem right now. They have too much pressure on them right now. Whatever your reasoning or your excuse or, or whatever it is, it all comes back to Jurgen Klopp. And we know the seven-year curse with Jurgen Klopp, but I'm not really a superstitious guy, so I really don't believe that because it's his seventh season with the club, that's why he's doing bad. Same thing with Borussia Dortmund. and No. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't buy that for a second. However, what I do think is... Mohamed Salah is playing a different game. Because Trent Alexander-Arnold is playing a different game. Trent is playing a different game because Allison is playing a different game. And Fabinho is playing a different game because... Jordan Henderson is playing a different game. They're all – they there's no chemistry right now with the club. They're all on different wavelengths. Obviously, they're all frustrated and they're all pissed off and they're all annoyed. And every single person on that team wants the ball because they all feel that they can make the difference. But that's a problem because not every single person is going to be the difference maker. And it really doesn't help when you're – you have eight, ten players – who should, who are usually on the field right now, who are the difference makers? And I immediately looked to Luis Diaz. He was, when Liverpool signed Luis Diaz, every single game it seemed like when he got the ball, something was going to come from it. Whether it was a uh, it was a cross, whether he made inroads, whether he made the overlapping run, whether he put the ball in the in the box when it needed to be placed there, you know. Whatever it was, Luis Diaz just seemed to have that secret formula that no Premier League club or no European club, really, even in the Champions League, could stop, and no one could really defend him. And once they got hurt, once he got hurt, you know, I think, I, I think Liverpool kind of were like, "Oh crap!" You know, we put all of our eggs into our Plan A basket; that we don't have a Plan B. And I think this year uh, is going to kind of be that year where you kind of say to yourself, look, we're not going to win the league, obviously. Uh, We're not going to finish second. We're not going to finish third. Probably not going to finish fourth. Unless we win every single game from here on out, we're not going to make fifth. There's a greater chance of us being relegated than there is us winning the trophy. And if you said that to anyone last year, that this is how this season would be going, no one in their right mind would believe you. Not knowing the injuries, no one in their right mind would believe you. And so I think that's why Liverpool need to take a step back, look things through a different eye, take off your rose-colored glasses. Maybe it's Jurgen Klopp. Maybe it's Mohamed Salah. You know, Salah's uh, uh, PSG is interested in in signing Mohamed Salah for for I think it was like eighty million pounds. You know, maybe that's a good option. I don't think you should do what Chelsea did and just buy, buy, buy. You know, grow from your youth academy. Harvey Elliott is a perfect example. Darwin Nunez, he came out and said. Look, I've I, I obviously know I'm not playing well, and I know I'm not playing to the standards of the of the club, but just and this is exactly what he said. He said, you know, look at Luis Suarez when he was at Liverpool. His first season was garbage. And the second season, he broke the record for most Premier League goals in the season with thirty-one. So what that how much that means and how much weight that holds not that much, because when you sign a player, you want that player to do well now. However, the club's struggling. Darwin Nunez is not the only one struggling. So they need to they need to finish out this season. Do what you can do in the Premier League. Do what you can do in the Champions League. If you can find a way to win, keep doing it. Um, But if you you lose and if you're a little wishy-washy throughout the rest of the season and you win some and you lose some, then just tell yourself that you have no control over it. And then just, just let the summer come, regroup, rejuvenate the squad, give them all enough energy that they need to perform well at the top level that they're asked to. And then from that point on, buy one or two new players sell one or two new play- sell one or two old players and from there on you know then you look at the at the coach or vice versa get a new coach and then do all of the spending and buying either way you can only go up from here if you're a Liverpool supporter and if you're Liverpool I truly think that this season is over for Liverpool. I don't think there's any coming back from this, um, and I've, I truly think that this season will will go down uh, as one of the biggest failures in the Klopp era uh, for, for Liverpool. As I currently sit ninth in the Premier League. Next, I want to head over to Spain in La Liga, where we see Barcelona. Eight points clear at the top over Real Madrid. Following their gorgeous, beautiful win, 3-0 over struggling Sevilla this season, they see themselves well off for the rest of the year. Real Madrid are struggling, there's no doubt about it, and it's actually very ironic how similar La Liga is this year to the Premier League. You have the one team, who's on absolutely stellar form. And you have the number two team who, in the past three to four years, is regarded as the best team in Europe, in number two, and struggling right now. And then in three, four, five, six, it's kind of up in the air. And that's exactly how how this is going to go. Maybe not three. Three is, is Real Sociedad. They currently have uh, 39 points they are five points below Real Madrid and four points above Atletico Madrid, who are in fourth place. However, this Barcelona side, uh, I, think, I, I think they're back. I think Barcelona is back. I think following the, the Leo Messi era, him leaving, it took a year. And like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, it, it was going to take some time for Jesse Marsh to grow with the club. And Xavi did exactly that. Obviously, there's different circumstances. Since we know Xavi is a legend at the club as a player, so obviously there was going to be a little bit more leeway from Juan Laporta with Xavi. Um, but I, I truly think, though, you know, scoring 42 goals and only allowing seven is insanity. And from from top to bottom, I mean, this club has talent, and this club this club is young. And I think the midfield for for Barcelona um, could make a case for the best midfield in the world. Pedri and Gabi, I'm sorry, Pedri and Gavi, as we know, are two of the best young midfielders in the world, if not the two best young midfielders in the world. And next to them is Frankie de Jong, as well as Sergio Busquets. Busquets is part of that older generation. But he's still around. He injured himself uh, in the game against Sevilla. He may be out for a few weeks. Um, and then they have Frank Cass- Kessier. Frank but up top, you know, once again, <laughs> I mean, this this attack is insane. Robert Lewandowski, Usman Dembele, Ferran Torres, Rafinha, and Ansu Fati. So it's almost a case of if they weren't doing well, then you would be shocked. But you're not shocked that they're doing well. This is this was kind of something that you would have expected or you would have hoped of this club, especially after the past two seasons they've they've had. But you know, will they play in in the Champions League next year, two years from now? Um, because right now I mean they're they're playing in, in the Europa League. And their game against Manchester United will be an interesting test for them because United have have changed. United are a different club than they were in the beginning of the season. And Cristiano Ronaldo leaving is a large part as to why the club is doing so well so quickly. So I think if you're a Barcelona supporter, you have absolutely no complaints with what Xavi is doing with the organization. He, He really went from having... PK in the back to then bringing in Jules Kunde, as well as Eric Garcia, as well as Ronald Araujo and Andreas Christensen, as well as Marcos Alonso. All for cheap. You know, the only big spender in the defense was Jules Kunde from, from Sevilla. So I think it's great management of the personnel. From Juan Laporta, from his his staff, his crew, as well as managing and training and playing from Xavi. So I think it goes both ways, and that's why it's so remarkable why they're doing so well. Especially from what we know coming out of last year. And there was a, you know, three games ago, Barcelona and Real Madrid were neck and neck. No one knew how how it would go. No one knew what the what the end scenario looked like. But in their last five, Real Madrid have lost two and and drew one. And the loss at the weekend to Mallorca was just embarrassing. And there's speculation that. Uh, Vinicius Jr. is, or there's not speculation about this, but he is the most fouled player in La Liga. Mallorca recorded 29, yeah, you heard that right, 29 fouls on Real Madrid, 19 of them on Vinicius Jr., and there was one yellow card given the entire game, and that was given to Vinicius Jr., I think I think Real Madrid are they're in a weird state right now. It's it's going to come down to who can win the win the final third ball because as we know, uh, Real Madrid, Karim Benzema, he's going to be out for a few months. Um, Vinicius picked up a little bit of a, a a knock at the weekend, so it'll be interesting to see how he comes off. Uh, but Usman Dembélé for Barcelona, you know, he's hurt as well. So it's kind of, you know, obviously Robert Lewandowski and Karim Benzema are probably the most comparable two of the the two clubs. Um, but it's really who is able to get the ball from midfield and put it in the back of the net. And right now, it seems like it's going to be Barcelona seeing this one through, Um, you know, similar with Arsenal in the Premier League. uh, I think this is Arsenal's to lose, uh, just like I think this is Barcelona's to lose. So the two bigger organizations or the two expected organizations in Manchester City and Real Madrid are both not living up to the expectations. They're not living up to the hype of their fans, of their organizations, of their stakeholders, of their own players and their coaching staffs. Uh, and, And Barcelona and Arsenal could see themselves through to be crowned the champions of Premier League and La Liga.